Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll let you be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to gather, to worship you. And uh, you are truly, Lord, wonderful and gracious and so good to us. And we thank you so much for your leading and guiding, for those moments when we hear that whisper of your leading, of your spirit. And Father, thank you for that. Uh, We depend upon it and need it desperately. Father, we pray that you would just go with us as we get into your word here in just a few moments, Lord, that we would draw out of this text that we're going to be looking at tonight, Lord, just some encouragement, uh, some strengthening of our faith, that our hearts and our minds would be open to what you have for us, that we would live differently because of it. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Uh, We are going to start with a couple announcements, and then we'll get into our text this evening and hand that out to you. So a couple announcements, uh, just a reminder about Unity Fest coming up so close, July 9th is the date on that, so you want to make sure you're inviting people out to that. Um, take that insert that we gave you this morning in the bulletin, use that as an as a advertisement, as a way to invite people out. Um, I think last time I knew we can fit about 100 to 110 chairs under the tent. Um, we would love to see that increased. We would love to see that tent packed out. And so encourage you to invite people out for that. Um, obviously, just a reminder again about All In. Guys, sign up for that. Blood, cross, or blood Drive from American Red Cross is coming up. Uh, baby bottles are due here just in a couple weeks. So please don't forget about that. You want to turn those in. Uh, if you need to do it online, there's cards out there for that to do virtual baby bottle. Um, new Grief Share class is starting on June 26th. So note that as well. And then also uh, the layers will be with us on June 18th in our morning service. So don't forget about that. All right. So lots of things going on. Uh, don't forget to check out the library. Obviously that the summer reading program is coming up. So make sure you're aware of that. And uh, again, head by the Welcome Center. If there's any questions about anything, make sure you go over there to, to see what's going on. Sign up for what you need to sign up for. And uh, just let it be an encouragement to you. All right. So any questions about any upcoming events, activities, anything like that? So we can answer those before we hand out our text this evening. Any questions? No? All right. So we're going to be in Luke 24. So go ahead and start handing these out. There you go, brother. Thank you. Uh, We do have bulletin boards up here and pens. If you need a bulletin board or bulletin board, clipboard, there we go, or pens, uh, we have those up here as well. So please make sure you grab one if you need one. I was just going to say, don't forget Jeff and Margie out there. Try to make sure if you borrow a pen, please make sure you return it. These are from the Welcome Center, so I want to make sure there's enough pens out there for things. Yep, there's more clipboards. Do you need one, Claudette? A bulletin board? Yep, mm-hmm. thanks. It must be a blessing, Keith, to say everything the right way the first time. So let me know how that works out for you. I bet it is. I bet it is wonderful. To never misspeak or say something wrong. What's that, Scott? I know, yeah, I've yet to experience it, but Keith, apparently, he's perfect, so I appreciate his reminder there. (laughs) 
Uh, all right. Does everyone have one? What did I have to eat tonight? I haven't had dinner yet. I don't know what's going on, man. <clears throat> it's that coffee breath I got going on. I guess it's just pushing them all away. All right. Well, everyone has one. So we'll go ahead and uh, look at the text quickly, give you an idea of what we're going to be looking at. Um, and then we'll give you that 10 minutes or so where we'll let you guys kind of work through the text, uh, make some notations, some observations. So uh, we're in Luke 24. And really this passage, um, probably familiar to many of us, uh, but this was actually something from, uh, I was recently reading through the Gospel of Luke in my morning readings, and this passage jumped out to me uh, last week, I think I was in this passage, and so just kind of an encouraging passage and kind of made a note that I would love to walk through this text together with you. And so Luke 24, 44 through 53, um, and just as a, a reference to where this is going to be. Um, many of you maybe know that the greater context, this is following the uh, discussion that Jesus had with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And so this is right after that encounter with those individuals when Jesus reveals himself to them and then he kind of leaves their presence. He's removed from their presence. They go to the disciples. They begin telling what they've heard. And then Jesus appears again and has this conversation. So really amazing passage. Um, it's going to deal with a lot of different things encouraging the disciples, but also leading up to the ascension of Christ at the end of the text. So uh, take 10 minutes or so. We'll go ahead and give you about 10 minutes. Make some observations, note some things. Again, remember, we're looking for conversations, who's speaking to who, uh, references to other passages of Scripture, uh, things that are important or you think are vital to understanding the text. Um, if there's words or things or phrases that you find encouraging or interesting, you can jot those down, uh, circle those, underline those. And so again, if there's other verses that even jump to your mind while you're working through the text, take a moment, write those down as well. All right, so we'll give you about 10 minutes. So go ahead and take 10 minutes, we'll start working through that text, making those observations, and then we'll come back and break it apart in just a little bit.
Well, if you guys would, we'll go ahead and start at the beginning of the passage. And uh, as normal, I'd love to have somebody uh, read the passage for us uh, together. And so if somebody would like to volunteer to do that, I'd appreciate that. Somebody would like to read the passage for us to start us off. Renee, awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, ma'am. <clears throat> so that first verse, we're going to kind of jump right in there and start breaking that apart. What is something that, just in curiosity, we'll probably touch on it in some way, shape, or form from my notes as well, but what is something that jumps out to you in that first verse that, that we read together, verse 44? Well, like, what jumps out in that verse right away as we get into this passage? Okay. Yeah, so the ti- kind of if I had to title this, outline of this passage, I just put down a familiar message with a new promise of power. So it's a familiar message. He's made them aware of these things, right? What else jumps out to you in that first verse? Yep. Very specific. Yep, absolutely. And uh, that message, right, that we're talking about here about him is the gospel, right? Really what he says when he says it was all about me, he's not just saying him as the Messiah. He's also talking about what he's going to unpack for them in the following verses about what the gospel is, what the gospel hopes to accomplish. Um, And it was a message that was familiar to disciples, but familiar to all Jews, right? To all the Jewish readers of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, When I was studying through this, one person said that... um, Christ speaks to the, and and the phrase they used was tripartite, tripartite division of the Hebrew Bible, which means three parts, Psalms, prophets, law. And in those three divisions of the Hebrew Bible, all of them point to who? That's pretty amazing. So why does God record the Psalms? Yes, to bless us and encourage us and to be a benefit to us. But ultimately, what's the purpose of the Psalms? To point to Christ, what's the point of the law? Yes, to give us guidelines and morally understanding how God would have us to live. For the Hebrews, for the Jews, it was specific to the land that they were going to be living in, how they would be blessed in the land and be blessed by God. But really, what was the point of the law? To point us to Christ. What's the point of the prophets? To warn of coming judgment and to warn of all these things. But ultimately, it's for Christ. And so all of the Hebrew Bible points to Jesus. Now, thinking backwards, what does the New Testament point us to? Christ. What does Revelation point us to? Christ and the coming of Christ, right? The whole word of God points us to 
Christ. And I think it was um, Matt Chandler that said, the Bible records an unfolding story of a great hero, and you're not the hero. Right? You're not the hero. You're not the point of the Bible. Jesus is the point of the Bible. And so again, he says that the whole Old Testament. That's how he summarizes all of the Old Testament. Law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. So that would include those, some of those historical books that we refer to, things of that nature, all included in that tripartite division of the Hebrew Bible. What else jumps out to you in that first verse, Avi? Right. Yes. Yep. Yes. It's it's very much a I told you so moment. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and there is a word there. I hope that you you underlined it. You circled it. You did something with it. The word fulfilled. We have to note the word fulfilled. It's key to our understanding of what Jesus did for us. Christ did not come to do away with the law and the prophets as though it was a mistake needing correcting. Jesus did not come to correct and get rid of the things that God the Father had put in place through the law and the prophets. He did not come to do away with those things or to correct those things, or as one person said, to kind of save us from a more stricter ruler and leader in God the Father and to be more gracious for us. He came to fulfill the law because we could not, right? Because we could not. So that word fulfilled is hugely important in that phrase or that verse, all right? So, what's everything okay? Your pen flew away from you? It's okay. It happens. Um, also, why are we not under the law? Because Christ fulfilled the law when we could not. Uh, he carried that burden for us and granted to us his righteousness. Naturally, we stand before God as lawbreakers, but in Christ and through the gospel, we stand before God as obedient and lawful sons and daughters. You are only seen as able to have the righteousness of fulfilling the law because Christ fulfilled the law in your place. And that is granted to you. So you are not seen in Christ as a law breaker, but as an obedient and lawful son or daughter. Yes. And I love that aspect of the life of Christ that so often gets neglected, in my opinion, because we rightly so talk about forgiveness of sin. Uh-huh. But it's because righteousness that he lived was imputed to us. Yes. Right. Because you have, you, you're, there's no righteousness, there's nothing on your behalf that merits you to get into heaven. Yes. So the fact that he did live that sinless, perfect life and fulfill every jot and tittle of the law is our hope. Exactly. Yep. It's not just that our sin was put on him, it's that his righteousness was imputed to us. Right? Both things have to take place for us to be able to stand before God as righteous. Again, because we cannot fulfill the law, so he did that for us. Uh, so we see there and a lot in just one verse, one part of this passage. Anything else that jumps out to you in that first verse that we didn't touch on? Anything else that you noted that you, you marked down? All right. I love that it's a, not a new message. I love that it's a familiar message, that this is something he was telling them about the whole time, and yet they still didn't quite understand, which leads to verse 
45. This is why they did not understand. Now, verse 45, when I was putting this together and creating the outline off of my notes here, I was going to just lump 45 with the other verses there. 46 through uh, 48 is my next kind of how I kind of group the passage together. But as I was starting to write things out, I realized I couldn't really do that with verse 45. So verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. There's so much in there. Uh, This for me is so important understanding how we understand the scriptures today. And so note there, open, that he opened their understanding. So another way we would phrase this would be that he illuminated their minds. He made their minds able to receive this truth. Now, when it says understanding, we think of understanding in a fact of getting the facts, getting the point. But what is Jesus saying here when he says he allowed them to understand the scriptures? It's more than just understanding the language, understanding the story as far as the general principles. What, what do you think of when you think of that phrase that he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures? Like what comes to your mind when you think about how to communicate that to someone else or explain to somebody else what Jesus was doing right here. Okay. So just him physically being there before them after the res- or after the crucifixion and the resurrection, it's starting to come together. So him physically being there helps them understand. Okay, so it's starting to come clear because he's there with them. What else comes to your mind with this idea of he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. And I like that. It's, it's, it's external. He's before them. He's fulfilling it. Okay. We see now, but it's also at the same moment, internal. He's doing an internal work in their hearts and in their minds. He's breaking away some of those things that just hindered them from understanding. And now they're able to fully believe. Okay. Absolutely. So it's an internal work, an external work. Anything else comes to your mind when you think about this phrase that he opened their understanding. So what I jotted down for me is, is they had received teaching directly from Christ externally for three and a half years. So Jesus taught the same scriptures. He's teaching them now, right? Think about what happened right before this. Do you remember right before this, the conversation with the disciples on the road to Emmaus? They were talking to Jesus and they didn't know who Jesus was. And he said, what are you talking about? And they said, haven't you heard? Where have you been? Like, you didn't know what was going on? And then they, he begins to expound the scriptures to them and explain how Jesus must come and die on the cross and be buried and rise again. And he begins to open their minds to scripture. And so for me, when you think about this, the disciples had that teaching for three and a half years, but their hearts and their minds were still unable to grasp the full truth. 
How many times does the scripture tell us that the disciples, after a parable, after a teaching, they didn't understand? They got the idea. They got practically what was being talked about, but it wasn't in them. It wasn't received knowledge. This is why Jesus teaches on humility, and two minutes later, they're arguing about who's the greatest disciple. And that's where Jesus is like, you just don't understand. You don't get the depth of this. I believe that he used the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit, I believe is involved here, to open their minds to what the scriptures had to say about the Messiah. Isn't it interesting? He used the scriptures to help them understand the scriptures. And I believe it was also with the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we understand that the Spirit indwells every believer in Christ at the moment of salvation. Right now, when you receive Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit fully. So this is not quite identical to what the disciples are experiencing here. However, I do believe I see a similarity between our salvation experience and walk with Christ and what the disciples are going through. When you are saved, you are given the fullness of the Spirit. All of the Holy Spirit is given to you. But if we're being honest, if you've been saved for any amount of time, your understanding of Scripture today versus the day you were saved is much greater prayerfully. Right? Fair point? We knew things about Jesus. We received Christ by faith through grace. We understood the Scriptures, the Word of God. But as we live through life and the Spirit of God begins to conform us to the image of Christ, now we begin to understand things in a deeper sense. We didn't get more of the Holy Spirit. We had all of him in the beginning. But because we needed to walk with the Spirit and the Spirit walk with us to conform us, our understanding grew. This is why you even see they had understanding of the Scriptures. He opened their minds. They're understanding things. But did they, even in this moment, fully get everything that was in the Word? No, this is why Peter in Acts 10 had to be taken up onto a rooftop and shown this vision because he had a little prejudice towards Gentiles. This is, again, why the church was even hesitant to believe that Saul became Paul and was converted, because they were still growing in this. This is why James, the entire epistle of James, is written to the church to say, hey, stop showing favoritism. Hey, stop this, because there was still infancy in the church. They were still growing through these things. And so we all experience this. So why is that encouraging? Because he opens our minds to understand the scriptures at the moment of salvation by the Spirit's work. But that doesn't mean we're going to understand everything in the scriptures the first day we're saved. There's going to be a process. There's going to be a journey here. So don't get discouraged is my encouragement to you. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where I think, too, sometimes the situation we find ourselves in changes our understanding of the text. The text still means what the text has always meant. It didn't change. But what changes when we have that aha moment? The, the text, the truth of the text remains the same. It only has one meaning. But when I'm reading it, the same verse five years later, and it hits me in a different way, the text hasn't so much changed because it's still the same words. What changed? Me, but what usually, what am I speaking about when I say I changed? Yes, I'm in a circumstance where that verse needs to be applied slightly differently than it was applied five years previously when I read it. For whatever reason, the love of God that I understood very clearly five years previously, now the love of God just seems and feels different in this circumstance. So again, there's a level of that. So 
when I read that verse, I thought, man, what an amazing moment when their, their eyes were open to the fullness of Scripture, and yet still, it's a journey. They're still walking with Christ. They're still not fully understanding every single thing in the Scripture, but they are beginning to understand the truth of Scripture more than they ever had before. And that's a pretty amazing thing. What Underneath the word understanding there in verse 45, then open he their understanding, I just jotted down under their ability to grasp the spiritual. An ability to grasp the spiritual. I understood the language. I understood the grammar. I understood the content as far as basic idea of what it's saying. But now I'm getting the spiritual content. I'm understanding the spiritual truth there. And what does Paul say? The carnal man does not understand the spiritual. Right? But a spiritual man can understand these things. And so that, again, is part of the working of the Spirit in our lives. So verses 46 through 48. We'll look at this next section here. And again, here, I just kind of put a little title here that thus it is written. So going back to scripture. So this is what he's referring to when he says he gave them understanding. What were they gaining understanding in? Well, the truth of this scriptural principle. So verse 46. And said unto them, thus it is written. And I love that phrase because it gives all the authority to the word of God. And again, remember, Jesus did not speak authority given to him by other rabbis or other Jewish teachers. He didn't reference another rabbi. He didn't say, you know, rabbi so-and-so taught this. He would always teach as one with authority. And where does authority come from? Because he is God. So when he says, thus it is written, he can say this because he was there when it was written. Because the Spirit of God authored it, and it's about him. So it goes on and says, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So the emphasis is on the clear teaching of the need for the Messiah to suffer. What is the suffering of the Messiah? When he says that it's behooved Christ to suffer, what is that suffering? The cross, yeah? Yes, it, so it's, it culminates in the cross, absolutely. But it began with what? When he was even incarnated, there's a level of suffering, right, Renee? Yeah. The, the whole living his life in the flesh as the God-man, dealing with things he never dealt with before or had to deal with because he wasn't in the flesh, culminating in the cross, the sin being laid on his shoulders, the, the fact of feeling forsaken from the Father, right, where he cries out, why have you forsaken me? That's a great point, yeah. And all of the fullness of knowing how it should be and every day having to walk and seeing everyone's sin and mistreatment of everybody and just having that infinite holy view of what it was intended to be like at the creative creation and look at what it is now and how, like, what a burden that would have been mm. to walk through. That's a great point that even him walking among sinful humanity would be a a burden and a weight to carry. That's a great point. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And that we, we see it and we get offended by it or we get bothered by it. But again, we're fallen man seeing that. A, a, a holy God, that would be 
incredible to think about what he felt walking through that. Great point. So here we see that suffering. And then he also says here, and to rise from the dead the third day. So this is saying the, even the resurrection has been prophesied, spoken to in the Gospels, and fulfilled. So Christ's suffering, specifically the cross and the sin and all of that, rising from the dead on the third day, we just call that the Gospel, right? That he's saying that the Gospel is key. This is the emphasis of what you need to understand. And why is it so important the disciples understand from Scripture the power of the gospel because they're going to go through some things. They're going to start this thing called the church and they need to have a foundation not built on their feelings or experiences, but on the truth that this was all prophesied. It happened and it needed to happen. And so again, there's a deeper truth here. Uh, a word that maybe you highlighted or underlined would be in the King James, the word behooved. And so just out of curiosity, I looked this up and, and the basic definition is involving a duty or a responsibility. So it's a duty or a responsibility. When you dive deeper into the Greek idea of this, the word that leads to this English word, it deals with something that is a necessity or required. So basic definition of behooved is this is something that's a duty or responsibility. You dive a little deeper. It's something that is a necessity. It's required. It's required that this happens. So that to me, and I've read this passage many times, but that to me just brings more emphasis to the need of the suffering of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. It is a necessity. Uh, another way, and you can jot this down somewhere off to the side, the original Greek word is translated in our English Bible is found in John 4.4. 4. So John 4.4. 4. Now, many of you maybe already know this. John 4, dealing with the woman at the well. John 4, 4. Uh, the phrase specifically that's translated from the same Greek word is must needs. In the King James, when it says, Jesus, I must needs go through Samaria, that must needs is the same Greek idea as behooved here in this verse. So do you see the emphasis is on, I have to do this. This is required. It's a necessity that I do this. And I find it interesting that both of which, there's many other examples of this when this Greek word is used, but I love the necessity here is to lead someone to the knowledge of salvation. That it's a point of understanding the gospel with the woman at the well or here with the disciples. And so again, that word, I don't know if you're like me, but I've read over that word many times and just went, okay, yeah, it was something he had to do. But there's so much more weight to it. It wasn't just he had to do it like I have to go to work tomorrow or you have to do this assignment for this. It's, it's this obligation. It's this requirement. This has to be done. Question arises, why? Why does this has to be done? So if you look at the next part of the verse, verse 47, we read why that was required. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 48, and ye are witnesses of these things. So not only is the fact that Christ died and rose again to be preached, but the reason that sacrifice was necessary or required for the repentance and remission of sin in Christ's name. Now this probably dropped in, or popped in your head. Under the word preached there, you can jot down Romans chapter 10. Right? How will they call on his name? How will they believe unless they're told of who he is? And how will they be told unless somebody preaches to them? And how will they preach unless they're sent? So that beautiful kind of reverse order that Paul lays out there from 
belief all the way through to evangelism and the preaching. Um, and again, preaching is a specific type of proclamation. It's proclaiming something is true. This, this is truth. So why do I preach this is true? Because the scriptures say it's true. Why do I preach that Jesus suffered and died on the cross, buried and rose again, and that if you repent, you can have remission of your sins? Because the scriptures have laid it forth before me. Not because I believe it's true necessarily. Now, I do believe it's true, but my belief in it doesn't validate it as truth. It's true because the scriptures say it's true. Equally so, if somebody denies it, that doesn't make it false. It's still true. Again, regardless of individual experience, individual situations, people groups. Because again, who needs this message? All nations. And it says that in verse 47. And again, I jotted down under here the word remission. The remission of sins. How is there possibly remission of sins? What does Hebrews say? How can there possibly be remission of sin? But by the shedding of what? But by the shedding of blood, the blood of the sacrifice, the blood of the lamb. So it is necessary. It is required. It is needful that Christ suffer and die and rise on the third day. Why? Because Jesus wants repentance and remission of sin made possible for all nations. That's why the gospel exists. That's why Jesus did everything he did. That's why he lived the sinless life. That's why he went to the cross and was buried in a tomb and rose again. Because there's no other way. And this is the point I think, I, I pray I'll understand this in a deeper, fuller sense when I think of the gospel. Because I don't really know, I'll be honest with you, I believe it, but I don't know if I believe it practically every single day. Because if I truly believe that it was so needful that my only chance of repentance and remission of sin and to have my sins forgiven is because of what Jesus did, then that means that's the only chance for any other human being. And if it's the only chance for any other human being, then I would preach that more effectively. I would be more passionate in preaching that because it's needful that they receive that repentance and remission of sin. And again, some people have said repentance isn't needed. For salvation. It's just belief. Just believe and call on his name. Why do we keep making a big deal about repentance? And, and what does repentance mean, basically? I mean, I don't, I don't need a, you know, a book dictionary definition of it, but what does repentance basically mean? Okay, turn away from sin. Okay. Any other ideas you've heard that expressed or explained? Turn away from sin. Okay, yes, not only turning from sin, but the actual opposite act of turning to God, okay? And agreeing with God as far as what he says about sin, like okay. he that Yep. I love that. And repentance involves that. So it's turning from sin, turning to God, and agreeing with God that what this is, is sinful. It's not a mistake. It's not an oops. It's sin, okay? This is a violation of God's perfect law. This was wrong, okay? It was wrong whether or not we're caught doing the wrong, right? So many people feel guilty when they're caught doing something wrong. Repentance is not, oops, I got caught. I'm sorry. Repentance is, no, God, you know what I did was wrong. That's why I'm sorry. And so again, even repentance, it's needful to repent of our sin to come to Christ. Acts 2.38, if I'm not mistaken, repent and be baptized. 
Now, baptism isn't a part of salvation, but repentance is the way that Peter describes the act of coming to the gospel. I turn from my sin and I come to Christ. That coming to Christ, that's the gospel. And so again, this is so important, but yet so many people don't really preach repentance and remission. They, they more preach believe and be blessed. If you would just believe, God will take care of all your problems. You'll have a perfect life. Your bank account will be great. You'll always be healthy. Right? But no, this is Jesus saying, no, no, it's repentance and remission. Now, this message is not to be preached just to Israel or just in Jerusalem. But what does Jesus say there? Beginning at Jerusalem. And it should end where? Starts in Jerusalem. And where does it end? All nations. Now, the word nation there again, many of you know this. This is referring not to sovereign nations like countries, more like people groups or even language groups. Uh, ethnic family groups would be another way to understand this. And so, again, tribal groups, individual groups that exist in one nation. One nation may have 20, 30, 50, 100 different people groups or language groups. Every one of those groups deserves and needs to hear the gospel because God has commissioned us to do so. So again, this message is to be preached to all nations or people groups starting in Jerusalem and moving out. Verses that come to your mind, Acts 1.8, right? He even says in the next verse, and you will be witnesses of these things. What things? The gospel, the truth of repentance and remission of sin. It starts to be fulfilled in Acts 2. Uh, Acts 4, it's continuing to be fulfilled. Acts 8, it's continuing to be fulfilled. Right? Acts 8 talks about the dispersal of the Jews from uh, Jerusalem and Judea. What happens at the end of chapter 7 of Acts 7? If you remember, what happens in Acts chapter 7 that leads to Acts 8 and the dispersal of the Jews? Kind of a famous moment in church history. The first one of these that we ever read of in Scripture in the book of Acts. Nope, that was Acts 2. Stephen. Yeah, Stephen was martyred in Acts 7. And the very next thing we read in Acts 8 is that they were dispersed out of Jerusalem, Judea, and that area. And what began to happen was what Jesus said would happen in Acts 1.8, that they began to take the gospel to all places. You see, even though Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the end of the earth, to all people groups, even those believers still were what? Primarily kind of hanging out in this area. Because that's our, that's our habit. That's what we kind of get like-minded people together. And we kind of like being around them. Because it's really scary out there. And yet it took the stoning and the martyrdom of Stephen, one of the first deacons we read about in Acts chapter 6, that led to the persecution that drove the Jews, and the believing Jews rather, out of that area, so that God's will would be accomplished. So isn't it amazing that the thing that they thought would stop the church, the killing of a deacon and the persecution of Christians, actually led the church to grow and to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so again, I think it was the song this morning. I can't remember enough of the song this morning that we sang. It talked about uh, taking evil for using it for good. Was that your song, Renee? That said in one of the lines about taking evil and using it for good? Okay. I was like, I, I don't think I'm crazy. I think I heard that this morning. But how is it possible that God can take something that humanity means and, and the enemy ultimately means for evil and death and destruction and use it for the good? 
I don't know how he does it, but I read about it all the time. And you read about it too in scripture. This is amazing to me because by the way, the leading of all of this that happened led to an individual named Paul becoming a missionary, preaching the gospel to those areas, going to Lydia in Acts chapter 16, preaching to Lydia, one of the first European converts to Christ, which we know where Christianity went through Europe. It then came to America and we were founded as the nation that we were founded on because of Christian principles, which all started because Jews were pushed out of the land, fulfilling God's will, prophesied in Acts 1.8. So again, we see this unfolding of this beautiful plan that God is achieving this. And by the way, he's still doing this today. When Ben Baum was here talking about the work that they're doing in places all over the world, that is fulfilling Acts 1.8. That's fulfilling what Jesus said would take place. And that's the key in verse 48. And you are witnesses of these things. So the disciples are called to be witnesses of these truths that Christ died and rose again. They were not only witnesses, they were firsthand eyewitnesses. They didn't read about it from somebody else second hand or third hand. They saw these things. Peter was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus transfigured before him. He sees the risen Christ. He watched Christ ascend into heaven. And these are all firsthand accounts. And yet Peter himself says that scripture is a greater witness than even their own experience. Second Peter 2 or I'm sorry, Second Peter 1 speaks to that. So here, again, notice the order here. I think this is important. Jesus doesn't start with their experience and move to Scripture. He starts with Scripture and moves to their experience. Because if their experience is validated by Scripture, then we're fine. But if Scripture says what Scripture says, then we fall under and submit to that. And so he does talk about their need to use their experience and their eyewitness accounts, but only after establishing that scripture is primary. So how does this encourage us today? Well, we do not have to see Christ physically to believe in the reality of the gospel because it has been recorded for us in his word. 1 John 1, 1 through 5 gives us that encouragement. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 5. And so we're going to pause right here. We'll pick up next week, verses 49 through 53. And so I pray that it's been an encouragement to you to dive through this text. Um, and I hope it's encouraging to you to know that, yes, I know it's frustrating at times that we don't see Christ physically. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. But I'm so encouraged that we have the word of God to guide us and direct us and to keep our eyes on him. And so let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. And uh, we'll let you guys be dismissed for the evening. Father, we thank you for tonight. And Lord, uh, I, I honestly just love uh, doing studies like these, Lord, where your people, your church, gather together, Lord, to just get around your word, to read it, to kind of pour over it, to think about it, to study it, to make notes, and to maybe either ask questions or to make notations where they can go back and study later. Lord, I, I just am so thankful for your word, and I pray that we would never grow tired or weary of your word. And Lord, I know in this room right now, Lord, there are those who have been saved for many years, who have studied your word so in-depth, and, and Lord, know so much more about your word than, than I may ever know. And yet, every single moment we open the pages of God's word, we are encouraged we are strengthened, we are challenged, we are conformed to the image of Christ. 
And I pray that we would realize that, yes, we've been given an understanding of the scriptures by the spirit of God. But we will grow and continue to grow in that understanding as we walk in the spirit. Not quenching the spirit, but walking in the spirit, desiring to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so thank you for your patience with us, Father. You are so gracious to, Lord, we can be so infuriating, I'm sure, to uh, be your sons and daughters. And yet you're so gracious to walk with us. And Lord, we're much like the disciples where we, we do understand and we have that knowledge. But yet, for whatever reason, we just are choosing not to understand. We're choosing not to submit. We're choosing not to agree with what you say. And yet, Lord, you continually invite us into that relationship. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go forth from this place tonight, that you would use what we've learned tonight, Lord, encourage us, strengthen us in our walk with you. Thank you again for the understanding that you give us by the working of your spirit. And I pray that you would use this time tonight to stir in us a passion for those that need Christ. Lord, there is only one way to have our sins forgiven. There is only one way that there is remission of sins and sins are removed and it's by the sacrificial gift of Christ. It's through the shedding of the blood of Christ. And so Lord, I pray that we'd be passionate and zealous in sharing that message with others. Lord, not fearful of what they think because at the end of the day, Lord, we don't stand before them. We stand before you. I pray that we'd be faithful. But Lord, I know that I fall short in this area. So I pray you'd help me in that, that I would have the boldness to say what needs to be said. And I pray for our church family, that we as a church would have that same boldness. And again, because you did all for us, the least we can do is tell others of what you've done for them. And so Father, again, thank you for tonight. Give us a great week this week and bring us back on Wednesday as we continue to worship you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.